refer to developing a training, training of the mind. And this is similarly in the suttas of the uh, training a wild elephant, how your elephant tamer goes out with a tame elephant, takes a tame elephant out to the jungle. There's a wild elephant there, and the wild elephant recognizes the tame elephant. It's kind of same sort of thing, you know, so it's, it's, uh, feels some sense of a grudging acceptance of the tame elephant. They bring the tame elephant and the wild elephant together, you know, and they gradually make a little bit of contact, make friends, and then they, they tie, and they bind the ele- wild elephant to the tame elephant. And they start feeding the wild elephant, it's calming it down, patting it, soothing it, stroking it, gradually softening it making it more gentle, more malleable. Then bringing it back and then starting to train the wild elephant as it's become more soft, more malleable, more pliable. Training how to stand and how to, how to obey, how to get up and how to stand still. How to go forward, how to go back. And then even when it's challenged, so that it becomes something that can go into battle. So even when there's people throwing spears at it, it's not frightened, it's strong, it keeps going. So then the wild elephant becomes a credible resource for this particular analogy. But it's a graduated training. And so similarly, it's like we gain an intellectual acceptance of the teachings or some of the teachings. You think, yeah, it sounds right. You know? So something in us, the wildness in us, the untamed, the uncertain, recognizes, oh, yeah, that, that's, yeah, I can relate to that. You know, suffering, yeah, I don't want suffering. And that's, you know, craving, yeah, I can relate to that. And ill will, I can relate to that. And having strong opinions and witnessing other people get excited about their opinions, yeah, I can relate to that. You know, so you get some things you really... Oh yeah, I know that. Yeah, and so you're you you're interested. It's called ehipasiko uh, dhamma, meaning that which encourages you to come and look, because it's you recognise the patterns in your own mind. You see it in other people around you, and somebody's teaching that. You know the tr- the and the the Buddha is teaching this. The the truly tamed, you know, elephant. The great tusker of the Buddha is teaching this stuff that we can relate to. You know, it's not just talking about some kind of theory, but real experiences. And then, oh, so you feel, yeah, okay, this is real. And then you draw along. And then a lot of the practice of is just about calming, soothing. You know, letting go of violence, uh, harsh speech, you know, abuse. Coarse, grabbing, resisting, greed, lust, just kind of soothing, softening it so the mind is no longer so so kind of uh, rabid or panicky or grasping or defensive, just kind of softer. And this is a process, of course, you don't just say it, you process, you've got to do it for years to get these habits, check these, uh, realize these habits, acknowledge these habits, you know, the only people recognizing, acknowledging them, then you okay, softening it, just checking it. The, the phobias we have, and the insecurities we have, and the feeling of defensiveness we have, or 
assertiveness we have. Just just wait a minute, let's just back off, let's cool down a bit, take it easy, steady. You know, where's that going to? Feeling these effects in your body when you meditate, when you get some kind of passion or strong opinion or something flares through your system, you find yourself really quite riled up, knotted up, you feel the energy rushing into your head and around your eyes and wow, what was that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> recognizing this stuff and just calm, steady, okay, okay. You know, we've all been there. Breathing in, breathing out, feeling in your body, relaxing, reflecting on it, seeing the passing away of that, seeing the rising, the passing away, and you get less and less phased by it, less and less excited by it or depressed by it. So it's just that again. So the, the, these, what's happening is you're gradually kind of discharging the passions that we can have about our fears and idiosyncrasies and opinions and passions. It's okay, it's just that. You know, you get used to it. It takes several years to even know what's there. All this is the training, just to even reveal to oneself just uh, how angry I can feel. You know? <laughs> you know, I would say that just to check in on outward um, life, I'm not a violent person. I don't think I've ever committed a violent act in my life. Actual physical violence, or verbal violence. But after a time, I realize, yeah, I can get pretty. I can feel the energy of it, you know. Get indignant about something other. I can feel that rush through the system. So what happens is, you, is you also you're revealing tendencies that are dormant, maybe, that we're not angry all the time. Just because we're not angry, nobody's bothering me, I'm not angry. doesn't mean we've got through past it. It just means nobody's bothering me. <laughs> So that often in the training you're really, you know, checking out. And what about the real, one of the main themes of the training is this development of what are called parami, perfections, which in a way keep keep putting some kind of pressure or taking up the slack. You know, as we get a bit more comfortable and okay, we're okay with other people, and we're fine, we're comfortable, and we can manage this and that and the other. And just kind of just well, let's just tighten up the slack a bit. Really check what's happening. Put a bit more, you know, push in there. Uh, let's really check truthfulness, uh, barami, perfections like generosity, renunciation, morality, truthfulness, patience, discernment, energy, mm-hmm. kindness, resolution, equanimity. Mm-hmm. So there's this list of these. A lot of the time it's not as if we're particularly mean, but I'm not really making an effort to be generous. You know, if I got, actually don't think, well, let's make an effort to do so. Really put that one up there. Yeah, you know, as something to not just, oh yeah, that's fine, but really do it, do it. Just make something every day. Or truthfulness, or you know, stop exaggerating. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, stop kind of defending. Okay, I did this wrong. Okay, you know, you don't have to go into the justifications. Just the truthfulness. Morality, like in uh, monastic life, the aim is to develop the sila much beyond further than just a sense of not harm, we're developing something beautiful, beautiful speech, speech that you like to listen to because it, you feel as steady, calm, clear, not waffling, you know, not all kinds of nasty innuendos or slurs or gossip or backbiting or manipulative, just clear, pure, simple speech, you know. Putting something, when we speak, we put something else into somebody's mind. You know, 
you're putting something into somebody else's mind. It's going to stay there for a while. And so we fashion it, check it. So you make an effort to do that. So all these are ways, these Burami are ways in which we just put a bit more of a full focus on things that we would have probably all nod with agreement as, you know, that's a good thing, but really highlighting them. And this is the, the if you like, it keeps the, the, the process of the training, keeps it warm, keeps it boiling, keeps it cooking. So we're not just getting to a, a fairly comfortable space in ourselves and just, oh, well, that's good enough, you know, I'm okay. I'm not so wild anymore. You know, I'm fairly decent now. Uh, in monastic life, particularly in long-term training, you know, you want to do, you want to just keep, uh, you know, developing, developing, purifying. Uh, so that whatever was latent is actually brought up by that process. It's like, you know, simile of, of smelting gold. You get the ore and you put it in a crucible and you melt it, you fire it up. And through that, these impurities start to come out and you skim them off. You put water on it, water then causes it to coagulate and you can skim it off. So it becomes purer. And something that seemed relatively clean or pure, you just put a bit more focus on it. You say, oh yeah, there's a little bit more that can come out there. So the theme in long-term training is to keep a certain sense of uh, form and inclination, intentionality there. You want to look for things to pick up and, uh, you know, so that you're not just sitting back, testing yourself. Can you be persistent? Keep putting energy in? Or do you get to a point where you think, oh, well, you know, Okay, right, you know, I've done my meditation, yeah, well, okay. <laughs> you know. Because the mind calms down. You come past the rocky stuff, the mind calms down, you get into a feeling of, well, this is pretty okay, okay. Then you want to, no, no, wait a minute, just give it some more, push it a bit, push it a bit, push it a bit. This is really a main theme. This is where it's very important to have such a, a concept of training, strengthening, purifying, and parami perfections. Uh, perfections, is, of course, a, you know, <laughs> can be an agonizing concept, but that's that's what the word means. It means that which furthers you. Useful to have this frame of reference. Because it can just go stagnant. See, it walks, it walks, it walks, it walks. And certainly in monastic life, you know, you can kind of run out of steam after about five or six years. Well, you know, getting a bit stale with it all. What we recognize is that the, the, our mind, our intelligence, is an energy. So how do we know anything? Something responds, and so it picks something up. There's a consciousness, there's an energy in it. So it, can, it kind of feels, it, it moves, it shifts, it jumps, it reacts, it moves back, it moves forward. Oscillates, it spins around, you know, it searches, it, it quivers, it rushes out, it, it sinks down, it gets elated, it goes heavy and flat, it's depressed. There's a whole energetic quality to, to the mind consciousness. The body also, as we contemplate the experience of being in a body, you realize there's continual flushes and pulses and warmths and pressures and so forth. It's dynamic, it's energetic. So you can imagine it like this continual kind of electrical, chemical process of just stuff continually through, through being alive, just kind of coming up, 
and it's swinging around, checking out what's going on around us through the outside senses, through the inner senses, and continually processing ongoing um, dynamic. Yeah. And then when we, what happens is when we get used to something, then we no longer check that out. So, okay, that's that. And it becomes established. So, as you, you know, when you first come to a place, you're quite awake. You know, what's that? What's that? What's even, even to the point of feeling nervous. You know, you really don't know anything. Check it out. What's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? You know, look at that. Do I do that? And after a week or so, you start to feel more settled. After a month, then after a year, you don't hardly notice it anymore. You kind of can easily blunder indoor, sit down, slump, you know. Because the, the it's it's been patterned. You've you've known it, so your consciousness has got around and checked it out and okay, there it is. And after a while, once you've got that, then you can start to feel uh, complain about other people not getting it. You know, or it's not the way it should be. Because you've got to, now you've got a model, you've internalized it. And uh, what tends to happen is people, when they first come in, haven't got any opinions because they're taking it out. After a month or so, you start to get the opinions about it because you've got something that's been established, then you can, oh, don't like this, don't like that, this, that. So there's a particular form has been established in the mind. mind has got it, it's photographed it. It's, this is happening all the time. Of course, the big form that, that gets created is myself. So we have a known form, you know. And sometimes we don't recognize it ourselves because we're right in it. Somebody else will tell you, oh, you're a really hasty person. Hasty? Me? I'm just normal. (laughs) You're really a chatty person. Really? I'm normal. Uh, You're quiet. Really? I thought I was just normal. Everybody's normal. Because for me, it's normal. (laughs) I would say, oh, you you know, you're someone who who gets, um, you know, a very confident person. Really? I thought it was just normal. Yeah, or not very confident. So we get, you know, it's normal when you're in it. That's the form has arisen. your, Your intelligence, your system has adopted a particular psychological form intellectual person someone who very much dwells and and feels comfortable in the realm of ideas or perhaps not you know someone who feels uncomfortable in that more physical more gifted it with their hands this is our personal form isn't it just to notice that that process has been conditioned, it's conditioned, it's compounded, it's become something. And that's what's going on all the time. Every t- all the time the mind is forming. What Sankara, its activities, is this particular energy that's kind of activating everything. But it also means formations. After a while, that particular pattern of acting, seeing, uh, relating to, you know, being someone who, who finds it very difficult to make a decision, or someone who is immediately very decisive, whatever it is, that becomes a form. You've done it so many times, it's established, that's your form. So it's a formation then. Normalized. Normal old me. And it's got a powerful momentum to it. This is really what uh, our life is about. It's uh, mind's ability to keep doing that. And it will also, it will form other people. We get perceptions, fixed perceptions of other people. After a while it checks out what he's like, what she's like. He's one of those, she's like that. You know, it does that. And it will do it to the Dhamma too. Dhamma is this, Dhamma is that. This is the true Dhamma, this is not. This is the true vineyard. So it, it will form. And to me, that will be totally normal and obvious and true. And for somebody else, really? What? Hmm? 
So therefore there's a conflict that occurs. And we can see it very strongly in any, probably, you know, in religions you get, even in Buddhism, you know, peaceful Buddhism, peaceful religion. <laughs> Till we start talking about the details. <laughs> and then people suddenly, you know, no, 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 it's completely wrong. That's a, that's a wrong view established in the ninth century by the Savasta Vardens. That's, it's, it's, no, 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 you can't do it that way. Ajahn so-and-so says, it's always like that. It's one of these. You know, and then people get a little bit, you know, heated up, excited about things. Yeah. It's a form. Now, it's not wrong, it's not really just recognize that particular thing and then what what we invest in it because that's what our minds do. They will they will create a form. And it can be useful. But when you look at what are called the uh, first three fetters, uh, which are the first three big uh, forms, you might say, or, or formative tendencies that need to be abandoned, one is the personality view. That is, you know, one's personality, you're not looking at it, you're not noticing it, you're just following it, you're just believing in it. That particular form, the me form, is very obvious, obvious sense of me. That is not that is not checked. That is not um, witnessed. That is not challenged. I want things this way, my way. So obviously, in any serious training place situation, that that one's going to be challenged. It's supposed to be challenged. It's not to be dismissed, annihilated, despised. But it's just to be challenged, so we know it, and we know the grasping in it favoring of it and we also see the limitations of it because as long as I'm just settling into a form then that's as far as it's going to go it will be something that may be relatively useful good, happy, convenient but it will not be the unformed unconditioned, unoriginated Nibbana it will not be release it will just be a, a way place so we want to know all these forms what they are. Is that personality, uh, the preferences, the character, you know, the inclinations, often associated with his uh, history, personal history, and the stories that go through our minds as who I am. All that stuff is like continually telling you who you are. It's a form that's informing you. It's activated. The other attachment or speculation and uncertainty about the Dhamma. You know, so we look to get it all figured out in our heads and it doesn't quite work like that. You know, we can have uncertainty about uh, practice because we haven't really got past the words. We haven't got the words to get the words and then get use the words and then get past the words would have used the parable of the raft for the teachings just you know use it but then it's that's as far as it's going to go it's verbal form and then the third fetter is attachment to what's called uh, some sort of rites and rituals but to look at it more broadly it means our tendency to going to customs, habits, systems, techniques, anything that the mind... So this is a natural tendency of the mind to go into something that becomes more automatic. We know how to do it, therefore we don't have to keep reviewing it afresh if we establish a certain set of systems. None of these are bad, you know, in themselves. But then when you just start, you, you don't get past it. You know, we're all kind of just trying to sort the dumb route a set of ideas. Nothing wrong with intellectual inquiry, but it's always this sense of it as you, as you practice it, you penetrate it, you get the feeling, the meaning of it, and then that, that's, it's taken you, it's, it's highlighted something, some concepts, some techniques have highlighted something, you put your to practice, then you realize for yourself, and you've gone past it, you've gone through it.
So what you're developing through that is a particular uh, transcending form. That is, that is a process of testing, inquiring, challenging, being challenged, persisting, moving through. So it's a particular energy you develop, like a form, a transcending form. Rather than, a, rather than something that's sort of aimed at getting more comfortable, more settled, more, you know, more, in, more domesticated, you might say. You want to keep kind of coming to your edges and moving through that. that. So the parami, parami are, the, are in a way an encapsulation of the kind of uh, practices and intentions that keep taking you past. You know, you can develop them. So the story is, of course, that these in the in the stories, this is the these are the vast qualities that the Buddha developed in many life over many lifetimes, <clears throat> and you can see that as just kind of mythology, or you can see it as, as analogy, or you can see it as um, you know mythopoetic, and yet you can certainly look into the the suttas and the practice. You see that yeah, they're practicing truthfulness. Yeah, they're practicing renunciation. Yeah, they're practicing generosity. Yeah, they're practicing energy, effort, application. They're certainly all there. Equanimity. Mm-hmm. So you can just check all these. They're definitely practicing them. And anyone who's validly practicing, you know, is, is tra- practicing in these ways and checking them out. And the point of them is that you you continually incline towards you know, developing them. So there are three stages in the, every these parami. There's the stage of establishing. It means you determine something, you establish that 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 principle. You recognise, oh yeah, renunciation. Mm, yeah. And then you work with it. It means you actually put it to the test, get challenged by it, work with it, and the third stage is the fulfillment. And there is a fulfillment. So naturally, every one of them uh, establishing depends upon one parami, which is called aditana, resolve. You make a resolution. So... This one, in a way, is the leader of the first stage of developing parami that you establish. You you resolve something. I resolve to (coughs) and it might be um, and it's always been something quite specific, like I resolve to be generous. Well, that's a nice idea. No, but I resolve to give da, 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 you know. I resolve to re- renounce. You know, I mean, it's not just as on a theoretical, ideal level. You look at something quite specific and manageable that you can do. A lot of the, the uh, resolution training is to look at just particular pieces, one specific thing that's meaningful, and just start working at that. I resolve to only put one spoon of sugar in my porridge rather than five. <laughs> you know, we're not looking at hair shirts. We're looking at just you know, just bringing something up. Because the whole point is not really who can have the less, who can do the least, but just can you actually make a resolution that gives you some sort of challenge and work with it? Yeah. Because the point about resolutions is that nobody keeps them. New Year's resolutions. Has anybody kept their New Year's resolution? <laughs> Did anybody make them? You know, generally by about the end of January, oh well, here we are. Back again, I was going to, you know, vow to do two nights workout in a gym, uh, five mile walk once a week, um, watch less television, uh, cut down on carbohydrates, and then, you know, bloop. <laughs> by the end of January, it's gone. In fact, where we were, you know, you know, because it's a skill, and you wanted something that's not just a great idea, but something that's quite specific one or two points, and you focus on that and you establish it. Like, I'm going to get up at, you know, an hour before the puja, 3.30. 
And you put that thought in your mind, and you go, yeah, right, I'll, I'll try that. You know, that. And then, no, 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 that's no, 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 back, back, get back there, stop. I determine to get up half past three, half past three. Yeah, well, I'll sort of, yeah, I'll see what I can do about that. No, 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 that's not it. Stop. There's no negotiation around it. It's just, this is what we're doing, you know, and you just keep putting it there. Okay, maybe, that, okay, see if you can get out of hours too much, 45 minutes. Just something you... You know, there's a little bit of a wiggle, a wriggle, because you want to push against the comfortable norm. It doesn't want to be pushed against. <laughs> You've got a form there. Yeah. But if you don't push against it, what happens is that that, that that form, that personality form, takes over your practice and you just stagnate inside your, your little sort of comfort zone. First of all, you've got to get a comfort zone, so you've got to, you know... Get it so that you feel steady, you feel some, you know, sense of conviction in what you're doing, and then you want to start putting on a little bit of these resolutions. And you, you stay there until the mind doesn't wriggle. When you think that thought, the mind doesn't wriggle. It's going, okay, that's what's happening. And it's gone silent. You might even actually, you know, you do so like squeeze your hands or something. So it's really locked. It's really established. You've made a particular form, an energetic form. The mind is now established in that. Yeah. That's how you do it. That's why when people don't do that, it doesn't work. They've got great ideas. Oh, yeah, I'll spend more time with so-and-so. I'll give up this. It's just poof, dandelion seeds, you know, poof. So you want to do something quite specific to yourself, establish it, learn to establish, how to establish, and see the effect. You know, you find that the mind stops wriggling and, you know, well, maybe impossibly, and it will feel like, yeah, we'll see how it goes, and it goes still. Then it's there. And just even that, you get a feeling of, wow, yeah, something got established, you try to establish a form, you know, consciously, clearly, rather than just find yourself getting into a rut. This is the principle of Aditana, resolve. And when we're on a retreat, this is an enormous opportunity. You know, because there's not a lot of pressures from the outside, not a lot of things we have to kind of, you know, go this way, go that way. We don't have to have our energy spread out. You can just really get hold of your your life, your form of your mind, and just put, you know, make some resolutions there. And you, you do that and you carry it through for three months. It's going to be, that's, what, that's where transformations occur. Carry it through for a you know, year or so, then you get big transformations. Stuff just stops. The pattern's changed. You've given up something. You come out of addictions. You come out of those kind of fuzzy, can't-be-bothered places. You come out of those, well, maybe if I felt like it, you know, sort of when I get round to it one day, you know, why not now? So you don't let that thing, that elephant, just start wriggling away. You know, you hold it. Yeah. So you want to make it something that's reasonable. Not, not I'm going to sit here without moving for ten hours. No, no just starting to get to the pujas every morning. Bonk. You know, not probably, not maybe, but that's what's going to happen. Now, even if it doesn't happen, sometimes obviously we we make mistakes or blow it. Still, you know, you can't. You can't predict the future, but you can set up the intention. It means you're going to make it a lot more times in a lot more sense of you're holding, you're training your mind. You get a sense of, you know, your intentionality has now been decided and you are training your mind rather than trying to placate it, rather than trying to comfort it, rather than trying to go along with it. 
Because if you don't, what's happening is basically your mind shape is dominated by habit, by hindrances, by confusions, by conditioning, by greed, by, you know, it's not as if there's no control, we're being controlled. So you've got to decide whether you'll be controlled by Dhamma or controlled by Karma. In making resolutions, it's kind of specific points, sometimes quite small ones, you know, seemingly that, you know, I'm just going to eat what's offered. I'm just going to take, you know, one cup of tea. Or I'm going to make an extra effort to, you know, share or look after someone else or tidy up or stay behind or stay half an hour after the evening sitting's over. Hmm? You know, or check around and sweep up. doesn't matter. You know, just something that actually starts to... A good thing, simple thing, doesn't have to be known by anybody else, something that I'm just making that little place where I can kind of go, oh, enough, who cares, well, it's his problem. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, it's not. When I start to feel that way about other people, then's the time I need to think, no, don't do that, you know. Don't be so dismissive, so, you know, a bit more care, loving kindness, a resolution. Not just when I feel like it. It was a basic commitment. Looking for opportunities to do so, not just when somebody needs it, but really looking out for it. These are not sentimental things, it's just like basic goodwill, generosity, sharing, patience, you know, things like that. So these are this is establishing, and then establishing it with wisdom. So of course, the, sub, the su- supreme, you might say, aim, of the, or the conventional aim, or the f- definable aim that we can recognize is that we get more Clarity, more understanding, more discernment over skillful and unskillful. Well, that's pretty good, but this is even better. This, this, you know, takes it a bit further. So you want to use discernment in terms of resolutions, what's useful to resolve and what's just, uh, um, you know, pointless or crazy. Macho, you know, I'm going to be the toughest. And one time I was getting a bit sort of bored, and I wanted I had a lot to do, but it was getting rather practice, still getting kind of stale because I was just in my role and route, my role. I was quite busy, so I had a lot of functions to do. So you just get up in the morning, start functioning, 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 doing the thing, going to this, doing the chanting, doing the work, and the end of the day, another day, and it's getting sort of humdrum, you know. So what I'll do is I'll just get up, I was living at Amrawadi then, get up half an hour earlier in the morning, and there was a, a stupa, you know, monument out in the field. I thought, well, every morning I'll get up half an hour early, I'll just go and bow around the stupa. You know, bow to this shrine. There's four shrines, so I go to one shrine, bow. Go to the next shrine, bow. Next shrine, and do that every day. What's the point of that? The point is you're making a resolution. Why bother? Why bother? Because you want to do something that's not just a function. Getting so functional. Something that's just about pure devotion. I'm not especially devotional person, so that's good. So, you know, don't see the point of it. Oh, that's good. If I don't see the point of it, I should start to do it because, you know, all those things about being normal old me, you know, spend half an hour or so getting past them. So, okay, you know, 3.30, up, bonk. Well, you do start doing that. I did this for the Vasa, which is... um, Three months, so you look at 90 days, whatever it is. Day one, okay. 
Day two, okay. Day three, yeah, yeah. Day five, well. Day seven, well, you know, maybe maybe I don't need to do it for three months. <laughs> day eight, day nine, day ten. Yeah, this is a bit pointless, isn't it? Day twelve. You know, I worked hard yesterday. I don't see any need to do this. Day 15. I must be getting on by now. I mean, surely there's a reason why day 16 is raining. <laughs> by, you know, in July it's quite a nice idea. In October, going out in the rain at 3.30 in the morning. What's the point of this? Stupid thing. What an idiot. Stupid thing. The point of this is just to watch the mind saying, what's the point of this? <laughs> And say, yes, fine, okay. <laughs> the point of this is just to watch the mind getting, you know, into this doesn't fit, this doesn't work, I don't see this isn't reasonable. You know, the point of it is just to see that and just goes, what are you doing? Not ask to run 10 miles, but just walk around, kneel, bow. Kneel, bow. You know, that's all. And just that, it's just witnessing all this stuff coming from the mind. The reasons, the, the manipulations, the boredom, the frustrations, the, you know, so the whining. <laughs> keep going until eventually it just stops. That's the point. It's emptying out. So the mind is, that wild elephant stopped trumpeting. It gets sweet, it gets it gets malleable, it gets obedient. And you're not just kind of, when feelings come in, when it's raining, you're not cowed by rain. You're not cowed by the, the voices of the mind. You're not trying to placate feelings. You're not going to be bothered, you're not going to be thrown around by them. And in a simple thing like that, which is not torment for the body, you just see all the, you know, these challenges that come from the mind base, from the feeling base, from the intellect, or with all its various things. You see the host of Mara waving their spears. In resolution, you stay with it. It's not particularly refined, you're staying with it, and until it, it, it begins to recognize, hey, this guy means business. And it leaves you. Of course, this means that the second stage is really about working with it. So the big barami there is energy. Patience and energy, you might say. Energy persistence. It's not just a one-shot lunge. It's a steady, tenacious staying with it. It's like learning a language or something. You just can't learn it in a day. You're going to stay with it for three years. That's persistence. And, uh, you know. And then when you persist with something, then, oh, I'm tired. Oh, I'm bothered. Oh, it's easier over there. I don't see why I should make so much effort. After all, you know. But then you're developing energy, like working energy, like getting wise about energy, how to gather resources. So it's not a frantic thing, it's not a uh, kind of bullying, but just how you gather your resources, how you say, well, actually, you're gathering energy means you've got to put other things aside so that you're not spread out. If you want to use energy, you've got to put other things aside and focus. So energy really is what these four right efforts are about. It means you create particular boundaries, like, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that. I'm definitely doing this, I'm definitely doing this, I'm definitely doing this. So you get big yes, no's. So that's how you generate energy. Instead of, well, well, you know, you create boundaries and then stuff you've said, no, I'm not doing that, going with that, means that the energy that was used up in that particular habit, reading the newspapers or something not particularly immoral, but just, so what? You've got that little bit of energy is now available to go into you into your yes category, which could be walking, could be chanting, it could be you know whatever. But a lot of things we do which are just kind of okay. But 
it's okay. You know, they're the neutral places. They're always kind of passing the time, footling away. Idle curiosities. Well, if you're going to do something, I'll do it with a big yes. Resolve, commit, put energy into it. If you're not, just put it aside. That's the way you, you garner energy. You gather it. You know? So it's a particular skill in it. You find you've got more because you're not so spread out. And in that bit that you've got, you determine. That's why when we do retreats, you just, many useful, interesting, good things we could do, we say we're not doing them now. Not because they're wrong, we'll do them another time, but just because we're going to gather energy into this particular thing. And then you can bring it into your body when you sit, checking out how your posture is, developing energy in the lower back, filling the body with energy, using energy to stay with one inhalation, right to the end, with one exhalation, right to the end. So you're doing that for ten times, say, Set up an aditana, and then okay, take a break, you know, and then come back and do it again, and do it again. It's rather like that. You build it up, so you're doing it on a microcosmic level in terms of what it takes to stay with. We can stay with one breath, you know, right the way through to the end, and then take another one. You know? So it's like that, very much. And it means you, you, you've got to kind of draw energy up through the body onto this, onto your meditation topic. And when you're doing it with breathing, the beauty of it is that the energy that you apply and the energy that's there in the body start to meet each other as a kind of a, a blending. So that sense of the, the persistence of your application you know, which is, a, so I say, a mental or psychological energy of focusing, holding, being with that, carefully, carefully, moment at a time, staying with that. And the energy of the body, which is this swelling up, diffusing, swelling up, diffusing, breathing, breathing, those two energy systems start to meet each other. And then there's this uh, quality of piti, which means so joyful, rapturous. Like They've met, and they start to settle, which is called sukha, ease, and they start to bond, which is called one-pointedness. They've, they've unified. Hmm. That's through steady, persistent, and then there's this feeling, quality of sense of real firmness and ease, because you're not having to keep warding off various thoughts and distractions and memories. Your mind is settled, it's steady, it's firm and at ease. And you just sit in that. And you sit in that for half an hour, you feel really good. It's like it tones the whole system up. So sometimes, you know, people like to meditate just being spacious and letting things go and not focusing and just being there, witnessing. Okay, you know. But it, Buddha didn't teach it like that. I mean, that's that's part of what one that's part of what one can do for sure. But yet, you know, I think there's a real need to develop energy because when this energy is not just a matter of sweating and straining, it's a matter of feeling alive, vital, toned up, so that you definitely feel good. And if you don't get the feel-good factor in meditation, oof, I mean, it just starts to get stale. And it's not, not a, a kind of a happiness that's coming from the senses or thoughts. It's coming from this skillful bonding of the body and the mind. You start to feel really good. And you can go into that, sit there for a while in that, and you feel refreshed. It's better than sleeping. I mean, I like sleeping too. <laughs> I got my options covered, but <laughs> but I always feel better meditating than sleep. Coming out of meditation, I do coming out of sleep. Coming out of sleep, you feel sort of disorganized and got to get it all together, and you know, get the show on the road. You can, out of meditation, 
feel really good. But when you work with these things, it means there's always something trying to take over. So you're challenged. We all recognize and we want to stay with one simple thing like breathing in, breathing out. Most everything comes up is going to try to stop you being with that. The things you think you've got to do, thoughts about yourself, your past, your future, other people, judgments, the whole, it just starts to come up. It's like everything is trying to nudge nudge you, push you away from that particular point. But then we persist with it, you start to really get some perspective in all this carry-on. What's all that? And you don't don't give it energy. I mean, that's just a simple example, of course, you know, walking up and down, standing, anything that you do with a sense of steady application, to steady, to calm, you know, is going to have this this same effect. It, it sort of, positive effect is it clarifies and stabilizes, and also the, what most of the negative effect is it, it reveals this distractedness of the mind. It brings up the latent tendencies. But then bringing them up and deliberately acknowledging, turning away from putting aside, is how you starve them. And this is what the Buddha called um, Yonisomanisikara, appropriate attention or skillful attention, because it's starving the hindrances. And the right energy is for the nourishing of the factors of enlightenment. Gradually, so and that's the fulfilment. Yeah. You take something else, like you know, just truthfulness. And you find your mind going, "Well, so so, he's never this, he's never that." You know, he was. Is that true? Yeah. He did this, he did that. (laughs) Wait a minute. Is that the total picture of this guy? Well, he's always like, no, no, just, come on. (laughs) Is that the total picture of this person? Well, no, but he's like, and is he the only person who's, you know, (laughs) whatever it is, lazy or scattered or controlling or willful or he's, he's, he's the only person who does that you never do that do you well um, come on truthful <laughs> you know nobody else you don't have any defilements it's just other people right <laughs> uh, well uh, <laughs> soon you start to kind of it's not dismissing critical comments is just saying, yeah, that's true, but, but get the real truth and the whole truth. Everybody has defilements. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody is trying to do some good. Everybody's getting it wrong. Okay, so let's get out of the courtroom, huh? <laughs> Under the tribunals and just you know, the fulfillment, just developing that against that you know, that wants to just dismiss or pigeonhole somebody or create them as a form. And people will hold that form for a lifetime. You know, you've got somebody pigeonholed, they will stay there for your, the rest of your life in that little box if you let, if you want to make it that way. We think, do I want to live with that? So you develop something like real truthfulness and discernment. You see, these are karmic conditions. Hmm? Everybody has this, everybody's like that. And there might be a way we can address that, but it's not going to come through that process of identifying, typifying, stereotyping. It's come through wisdom and compassion. And that's the fulfillment of truthfulness. You see, yeah, it's true, and truly it is regrettable 
that we have this ignorance or have it that we are affected by these things. But, you know, sense of can we help, guide, befriend, remind each other, help each other. So the aims of skillful admonishment, for example, you have to have the mind of compassion and kindness. You have to check out whether you do the same things. You have to check out that you're really getting the facts straight. And you have to want to the right, find the right time, the right place, so that you really want to help the person rather than, you know, judge them. And how you can do that, it's a skill. But the fulfillment of it, whether the other person changes or not, the fulfillment is your own mind, you feel, you try, you know, sense of this clarity and compassion rather than judgment and aversion. There's a fulfillment there. It's joyful to realize you don't really have all sorts of issues with people. So these are practices, you know, patience. I mean, in this day and age, patience is a huge uh, practice. Everything wants to go fast, faster, you know. My internet connection is down. I had to wait five minutes for my computer to warm up. I was stuck in a traffic jam. I wanted to go, you know, patience, 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 patience. Just, it's not about gritting your teeth. It's about just softening into how it is right now. And the way it is right now, it could not be any other way. Although at this time we're imagining what it could, it should be like, could be like, ought to be like, what I paid for, what they promised me, what I should have as my rights, and I did my best and it should happen this way. Right now, it's this, it can't be any other way, can it? <laughs> right now, just, and all the, the uh, voices are fair and expected and shouldn't be in the way, and, and I did this and I did so much and I need and I've got to get there by then, and it doesn't really count. So instead of just feeling resentful and sort of frustrated, just say, oh, opportunity to develop patience. Sweet mind. And for patience, if you want to be equanimous, you've got to go through patience. Because equanimity, that's the top. You only get there through huge cultivation of patience, resolution, till eventually you just, it's all right. (laughs) And wisdom, because you see that all that wiggly, movie, frustrated stuff, that's just stuff, it's not what I am, it's not self, I don't have to go there. I'm not going to mess with it anymore. That's equanimity. So these are definite practices that we can just kind of bear in mind. They sit on top of everything we do, whether we're meditating, working, cleaning up, being with other people. They're kind of holistic practices. This is why they are such, it's highly esteemed. Because you can, you know, they're they're easy enough concepts. Putting them to work specifically, particular points in your life give you a very good individual way of, of working with places where one realizes one's not so strong. Kindness, goodwill, you know, places where we're definitely not so strong. And these are places you, you strengthen up, you build up, so your mind starts to take that form, the barometer form, the, uh, when it has, like the elephant, it's something that can resist the craziness of the world without getting freaked out by it. Anyone?